Thank you for the prayer. I want to welcome each one this morning and uh, just so grateful to be able to be here. Enjoyed the service so far. I would just like to mention, I know that there were quite a few of you who were at the funeral last Sunday, but um, I just uh, was very inspired by the message. I thank Keith again for sharing it. I don't know if anyone could have sat under the authority of that message, not knowing Christ and what would have been going through that person's mind. Uh, the, the, the salvation story was laid out so simple and so clear and so forthright. Um, it, it was very, very powerful. And I just was very grateful for what Brother Keith shared. I know it was difficult for him. Um, but um, I was very, very blessed. Also just want to mention, not to distract from anything else that was uh, made mention, but I think the <laughs> the youth are planning on camping next weekend. Is that correct? And so they won't be here. And Keith, as he has done in many weeks or years past, has been asked to, to share the message there with them. So he won't be here. Glad and I are heading into Virginia. Um, Wayne and Edna Schrock, good, good friends of ours, brother that I looked up to, has mentored me in many ways, are celebrating their 50th anniversary, and we really wanted to be there for that next Sunday. And uh, they've also asked me to share the, mes uh, the message there Sunday morning, so pray for us. So it'll only be Keith, or uh, Laverne and uh, Jake here, uh, but we feel like they're in you're in good hands. So we go with confidence. Well, I, uh, I want to introduce this morning a uh, subject that uh, I felt uh, has uh, been brewing for a while, and I'll, I'll get to it maybe a little bit later why. I want to start out with just reading one of the core values, number six in our core values, uh, that we as a church ascribe to. Uh, I think it's important for us to keep some of those things in front of us. And uh, there was a reason that we developed those core values. It's because it's something that we uh, have a passion for. And it reads like this, we believe our local body will never be stronger than the families that represent it. We desire to build strong, close-knit encouragement, teaching, and mentorship where fathers willingly accept their God-given responsibility, where integral support and children honor their parents. I like that. I read that quite frequently. I hope you do too. I hope you didn't just take those core values and put them in your, in your drawer and, and forgot about them. I think it's good for us to keep bringing out, hey, what, is, what are the things that we are really passionate about? And oftentimes as a pastoral team, when we evaluate different ministries and different things that that we want to support uh, does it line up with the values that we hold and that's sort of filter that we use to to go by well I, I'm confident all of you are fully aware that no congregation I don't think any congregation is going to be stronger than the homes that represent it the membership of the homes that are represented and according to scripture we can we can expect 
a general moral decay, and we see it happening all around us. We see it in every dimension, particularly in the home and in the family life. And uh, if, if there is ever a beacon of hope, an opportunity that we have to be a beacon of hope in a decaying world, it is today. I just, and I, God's glory, I don't take any credit to myself or glad or I, but I say it to God's glory, and I say it to be an encouraging families. When I don't know how many times, many, many times, as our family was growing and we would be out in the public, many times mainstream people would come up to us and say, What would you and and just enjoyed seeing you at a restaurant or maybe out shopping or whatever. Many times we received those compliments. And I give God the and I just say that to be an encouragement to you younger families. You have an opportunity. I'll tell you, I'm, we're on the minority anymore. You know, a functioning Christian family is the minority today. And so you have an opportunity to just show what that looks like. And I just, I just encourage you to take that out. The, uh, the connection between the parent and child may be one of the most powerful interactions on the earth. There's something very attractive and refreshing to see uh, and to witness families who are functioning well together. Pick the right parents and he put them with the right children and he put that combination together because he knew that that has the greatest potential to be a, a and to mandate here on the earth that combination and so just take advantage the opposite is true nothing there's very little that is painful and 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 and, and more uh, a great than when the family structure which has been designed to be a place of refuge and and love and security and when that is stripped away and, uh, and, and becomes dysfunctional and broken, there's probably nothing that creates more heartache when hearts become selfish and self-centered. And uh, the, the level of pain, I think, is compounded by, by that experience because it's designed, the family, the home is designed to be the place where you can find refuge and security and love. And when... When fathers lash out or when parents argue or when dad becomes angry and he, and he lashes out on the children, uh, there's, you know, the people that have the greatest potential to love you the most have the greatest potential to bring the most amount of pain into your life. And, and so, so it, it, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy here. It's a, it's a paradox where, where it has the greatest potential to become the place of security and love, but it also has the greatest potential to be probably nothing, no area has a greater potential to bring more pain and heartache than that place as well. Some time ago, and I believe it was Brother Willis, I, I'm, I'm sort of digging into my memory, I, I believe it was Brother Willis that made mention that uh, they used to receive a lot of teaching 
on various aspects of the, of the Christian family, but uh, more recently they don't hear much about that. I don't know if that was you, Willis, or not. I, I remember hearing it somewhere. And uh, maybe part of the reason few of us are a bit hesitant to give teaching because we're well aware how far we've got to go and um, how much growth there needs to take place in our own lives. But uh, I am fully persuaded in my mind of the need to strengthen families and uh, strengthen what, re- what remains. And I just believe we need to be vigilant and to give sound teaching uh, to our younger generation and equip them, not only the younger generation, but all aspects of the family, uh, to, to equip them and to strengthen them to be families of strength and virtue. And uh, so by God's grace, I want to start a series entitled Strengthening Family. And uh, I do, I just say right at the onset, I do this not because I think I've arrived, uh, or because I think that there are some in our congregation that really but it's, I stand here as, as a person that needs it. And I need to be I need to be instructed. And I'll tell you, as teachers, we're instructed long before you get the message. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I need it myself. I just want to go through some of the topics that I'd like to address in this series of uh, messages, uh, God's idea of children. We have man's idea of children, but we want to talk about God's idea and maybe show the difference between the two. Influences that shape children. There are, there are varied influences, and I want to talk about that. I think it's important that we understand that. I want to talk about parenting with purpose. There's three different aspects and maybe three different levels of age group in parenting. Uh, the one I want to talk about on nurturing and, and the result of obedience, the one on admonition and honor, and then lastly in the influence and a friendship level of parenting. Uh, I want to talk about enhancing sibling relationships, uh, equipping adults, uh, youth to fly, giving them wings and uh, setting them out for, the, for, for, for their future. A healthy courtship principles. I think it's important that we talk about that. Parents' roles in married children. Now, I am brand new at this, and so I, this looks big to me, but there are some things that Glad and I have observed over the years that I think we could use some instruction on, and by God's grace, we want to talk about some of these things reconciling celibacy with God's idea of family. How does, if God is, is interested in, in marriage and in families, then, then why are there single people and not married? And so we want to address that. We want to talk about that. A commitment to covenantal marriage. A healthy tension when a pink heart joins a blue heart. And um, is a... Uh, a teaching that I think uh, is important for us to, to talk about. And then I just also want to talk about aging with grace. Uh, and the Bible refers to that as a crown of glory, the gray hair. But I think there is something very significant there. If there are any other areas that you think would be an encouragement to you, I am certainly willing and list, uh, open to, to hear from you. 
uh, I'm, I, you know, I'll, I'll certainly give it consideration. So don't hesitate to say something if there's something on this list that I have not mentioned. So, uh, yeah. I'd like for you to get out a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper, everyone, if possible. And uh, I want to do a little exercise with you. And um, it's quite easy. On that piece of paper, just draw an end, uh, an arrow on one end and an arrow on the other end. And you don't necessarily have to put the numbers in between. Maybe on one end you put one, and on the other end, on the, on the right side, put ten. Maybe about halfway in between, put a five. And that sort of gives you an idea from one to ten. And then on the left side, put down unhealthy, or maybe another word would be dysfunctional. Uh, you can put that down. And then on the right side, put the word healthy or functional. And... Um, we're ready for our exercise. I want to ask you three questions. I want, to, I want you to rate three different uh, types of homes. The first one I want you to rate is your own personal family experience. On a continuum of, of one being unhealthy and the other end being uh, healthy, ten number would you give your own personal experience now now there's go ahead and do that but there I, I understand that this is a little bit um, ambiguous because your experience of what you call normal and my experience of what I call normal or functional may be different somebody might have grown up in a home where where mom and dad argue a lot and that's sort of how they get together get along is they just there's a lot of arguing the child knows nothing different than that um some children the only thing they know is that mom is living with the 10th partner that's normal to them so let's try to uh think of god's standard of what god would say is functional and what he would say is dysfunctional, and then sort of rate your own experience. The second one, I want you to think about our conservative Anabaptist Mennonite culture. Where do you think we are at as an Anabaptist culture, conservative Mennonite Anabaptist culture? Where do you think we're at when it comes to families and homes? I don't recall, I, I didn't give this a lot of thought, but when I was young, seven, eight, ten years old, I, there were very few from the people that I was aware of that were separated or were divorced or remarried possibly, but I'm astounded when I start counting on my hand of people even my age who are there and I'm thinking wow what is happening so rate this and then I'd like to thirdly 
have you rate what you think and where you think mainstream Western culture is at on this continuum. Now, I'm going to go back, and I've done this with, with various groups already. Uh, I don't want to expose anyone, so if you're not comfortable raising your hand, don't do that. I'm, I'm not wanting to expose anybody, but I am interested to just sort of have a raised hand of where you think you're at. I'm going to start on the first one in the personal family experience. I'm going to go anything five and below, uh, if, you, if you would raise, I mean, if you think that's where you would rate it, raise your hand. Okay, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, not everybody voted on that's fine, but I would say, would you agree with me, somewhere between what, maybe eight-ish? from what was 8.5 maybe, I don't know, that's very typical. What about our Anabaptist culture? Five. Maybe I should start with four. Four. Five. Raise them high so we can see it. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. What would you say? Six? It was pretty strong. 6.5, maybe-ish. Where do you think we are at mainstream Western culture? One. Two. Three. Four. Five. And I'm sure it's going to wane from there. I would say what? Two and three were pretty strong. And that's pretty consistent already with what I've done with other groups. That's sort of where it comes in at. So obviously, there is, uh, it, it, it seems like our own personal experience oftentimes has been good. I had talked to a, a young man recently, and I was, I was talking to him about his experience of family, and I just asked the question, how, on a, on a, on a continuum of one to ten, ten being healthy, ten being dysfunctional, or one being dysfunctional, how would you rate your relationship with your dad? Wow, I was astounded at what he said. He said, on a scale of one to 10, I'd give it a 10. <laughs> Wasn't that refreshing? It's like, wow, we need more young men that can say that. On a continuum of one to 10, I'd rate it 10. And that's what we wanna, that's what we wanna grow to, that our sons and daughters can say that about our own personal experience. I would like to define several terms. I'd like to be by defining and have you consider the title of this series of, or, or, the, or the subsequent subjects of this uh, uh, that we are going to be addressing by God's grace. I've often heard this, a, 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 the subject of this nature being referred to as the Christian home. I don't necessarily have an issue with that in the past make a distinction with this the word to Webster 
a place where a person lives. Used my permanent as family. If you were to travel east three on, you'd come to an address that is uh, two eight six nine. Bought this home for our. There are the structures that you see at that address are built with wood and cement blocks and some brick and siding and, and drywall and plumbing and heating and other components that, that make up this dwelling. And according to scripture, someday all those elements of that home are going to pass away with a fervent heat, which would give indication that those structure, that structure has no eternal value. Now, even though Christians live there, in the truest sense, it is not a Christian home. It's a little bit like saying, we're going to have church cleaning. And I've already said tongue-in-cheek, I wish it would be that easy. Let's just get a group of people together and let's clean the church. But we understand what we're saying. We're talking about the people. Actually, it's the people that come together to clean the building. They're the church. It's the, the, the building is only the place where the Christians worship. And that's exactly the way it is with our homes. Our, our, and, and, and as a result, I would ask the question, could a, could a Christian live in this home on this photo? Absolutely, absolutely could. Now, I offer this for whatever it's worth. Brother Melvin Lehman has noted that when a person drives past a Christian person's property, they should know that a Christian lives there. I'm not sure what all he means by that, but I thought I'd put that in there for whatever it's worth. My point is that a Christian family is not determined by where one dwells. What then is the determining factor? What defines a Christian family? Well, the word Christian, as we know, is a person who believes in the teachings of Christ. And because we believe that Jesus Christ is also God and is part of the triune Godhead, we believe that whatever God said is also part of what Jesus believes. And so we need to go back to what God said, and let's do that in Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I don't have it up here on the PowerPoint, so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. 
and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be given for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very, what? Good. Very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The Christian family was God's idea. Regardless how twisted and distorted man has represented family, the master designer's idea was that one man and one woman would join heart and soul for life. What was the purpose behind this? Let's go back to the passage of scripture. I would suggest there are five reasons why, why the, uh, why the, uh, the, the, the purpose of giving the, the, the uh, creating man and creating husband and wife. I'd like to go back and first of all note that, it, that there are two pronouns in here where it says, let us make man in our image. First, I will observe that the phrase, in our image, is preceded with the phrase, let us. It also signifies that both pronouns are capitalized. So who's God talking about when he says, let us make man in our, capital O, image? Who is he talking about? And I'd like to suggest that in that phrase, we get the first glimpse of the Trinity. Have you ever stopped to consider that man is made of three parts? Body, soul, and spirit. Is there a connection between the triune God? And I just put it out there as a question. So the first one that I would like to suggest, first purpose, first reason, is that it gives a glimpse. It reflects the triune God. Secondly, we see that the phrase, in our image, if you would actually look at that in the original, that phrase, in our image, is one Hebrew word. And I'm told that the grammatical structure in the Hebrew language would allow for the preposition uh, in, in the, the, the preposition in to be translated to the word as. Now read that. Let us make man as our image. And I think it sheds on a new light. In ancient times, emperors would, com would, would, would command that statutes would be, would be made 
of his image. And then they would be strategically placed throughout the empire. And so that when people would be traveling, even though the emperor would not be there, they would see the statues, they would see the image of the emperor and realize that those areas were under his power and in his reign. And I think that gives an idea in the same manner God strategically placed man, you and I, as living symbols of himself to represent himself here on the earth. We are here to represent God. And I ask the question, how are we doing? Are you doing okay in representing him well? You are his living symbol. You are his living image here on the earth. And thinking of it in that way, at least for me, places a certain amount of responsibility that I'm doing well with that. The third reason I think that we're here, and we find that in the scriptures here, it says be fruitful and multiply. That has... Uh, that procreation through marriage has always been part of God's design. And, and I'm not going to go into a lot of that today because I'm going to address that later on in another subject, but that is one of the purposes and one of the reasons for us being here today as husband and wife, is procreation. Third, uh, fourthly, we see that we, are to uh, that we are to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, sometimes we lament the problem of overpopulation. However, have you ever paused to consider that the population of man is part of the process that God uses to subjugate the earth, to bring it under submission? God gave man the responsibility to act as managers who have and take the authority to run everything as he had planned to do. And that's our responsibility. And lastly, we see the fifth reason that he gives, and that is to have dominion over the earth. To have dominion over creation. We are to rule as God's agents. That is, people are to rule as God would rule wisely and prudently over all that God has made, including the fish, the birds, the cattle, and everything that creeps on the earth. Man, I think we could sum it up in this way, man is more important than animals. Is that what we're seeing today? You see, for these reasons, I would want to call you back to these original designs and purposes of mankind. I want to suggest that, I would like to suggest, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term or not, but the conjugal family structure is God's original intent. That is God's design. The conjugal family includes the husband, 
the wife and the unmarried children who are not of age. The more that a society infringes on God's original one man, one woman intent, the further they drift from God's purpose for them as well. We can, we can easily see the twisted inconsistency of men aborting babies, but imprisoning people for killing a, an endangered species. How twisted can this become? But once we start infringing on God's plan, God's design, that's, what, that's the result. Man no longer has dominion over the creation. In fact, it's creation that dominates man. Higher value is placed on created animals than created human beings. But it's because we have rejected God's idea of family. Not only do we see the dysfunction or the discombobulation within the creation, when God's when God's purposes are thwarted, we also see the dysfunction within humanity. It's not only the relationship between, between uh, man and creation. We see it between, uh, uh, among hu humanity as well. It is impossible for two men to procreate. It's not God's design. As a result, it is common to have any of the following establishments replacing the conjugal family unit. Single parent families. I didn't put the statistics on the, on the screen, but according to a 2010 statistic, 40.7% of the births, 40.7% of the births in the US were to unmarried women. <clears throat> this translates to 13.6 million single parents raising over 21 million children. Just in, the, just, in, just in the U.S. And by the way, if you think, well, some of these single parents are, are widows and, and widowers, uh, that's only 1.7% 1, 1 of the ones that I've quoted. So that's a very, very, very low percentage. The rest are single by choice. Blended families, blended family units. Of the 60 million American children under the age of 13, 60, under the age of 13, half of them are currently living with one biological parent and that parent's current partner and or that parent's current partner. So 60 million under the age of 13 are living in single parent homes. Is there a reason? <laughs> Why are prisons, I mean, statistics have already, we all know that. Statistics are very clear that, that US prisons far exceed any other country. Far exceed any other country. The amount of people in prisons, I should say. Uh, they probably do as far as uh, cushy as well, right? <laughs> That wouldn't have had to be said probably, huh? But most of them would say that a great percent of the people that are incarcerated are because they have no father figure in their life. 
something, a term that I didn't, I never heard until probably, I don't know, I was probably in my 20s before I ever heard this term. And that's the postmodern families. The postmodern world is, is shaped by pluralism, democracy, religious freedom, consumerism, mobility, and increased access to news and entertainment. It is a society, according to one source, that has lost faith in absolute truth and in which people have to choose what to believe. Now, I want to just put these two side by side. I want to put the Christian family and the postmodern family side by side and just draw a comparison. On the one side of the Christian family, the father is the primary bread earner. On the postmodern family, they share the income, their shared income. Mother has just as much responsibility to, to provide for the family that the father does. Marriage between male and female for life. Marriage contra, uh, uh, contractual, divorce rampant, and or same-sex marriage. And we see that just a, uh, a mushroom effect just in the recent years. It's just unbelievable. I, I never dreamt I would see it in my day. But it's just all around us, rampant. Belief in absolute truth. Truth-based. In absolutes, sorry, let me start over. Belief in absolutes, truth-based. And on the other side, relativism. Freedom to choose what one believes. Authority structure uh, respected. And I think that was talked about even in our Sunday school class this morning. And the indifference to authority. I'm telling you, and I think Sam was exactly right this morning in Sunday school when he talked about what we're seeing, the attitudes against our police officers. Uh, it reflects the moral decay of, of you're not going to tell me what to do. And, and let's, I'm going to be just right up front with you. I'll tell you, it's, it has creeped into the churches, that attitude, that philosophy. And, and uh, by God's grace, let's not go there. Um, there is something to be said about brotherhood accountability and just calling each other to accountability. Something very positive to be said about it. Parents, primary child care giver and the daycare provider for children. Um, distinction between roles and responsibility and shared responsibilities and or roles reversed. And, and a lot of these I'll probably be addressing later on in, in, in various messages. I, a lot I could say about these. Time for corporate family activities and uh, scattered uh, intensified busyness. And I'll tell you, I'll just give you, I'll just say this for whatever it's worth. The other night, Deidre was working late and, and you know, we ended up eating, I think, at 7 o'clock. And the reason is, I'm willing to put my food on hold so that we can eat together as a family. That's important to me. And I'll tell you, I just, I just think there's something to be said. We have so much going in our world, in our, in our busyness, that it's fragmenting our families. And just we've got to do what we can to bring it together. Distinct gender dis, uh, definitions, and of course transgender or, or gender neutrality, 
in the identity there. Simplicity of lifestyle and entertainment and electronic media controlled uh, environment. Uh, marriage, being fruitful and multiplying. And on the other side, marriage, parental family planning. And uh, we'll talk about that. Um, families, uh, the uh, nucleus, a supportive system, codependency. And on the other side, promotion of independence and freedom. And uh, the last one I have is morality, guided conscience, and of course, guided by surrounding influences. That's the difference between the two. I would like to, in closing, call your attention. And I would just like to suggest that in order for us to maintain a clear distinction between the Christian family and the postmodern family, this can only be achieved as we develop, as we develop and as we maintain a set of values that keep pointing us in the right direction. If, if, if we're not vigilant, we're going we're gonna to lose it. And so I'm just going to call for you to, to develop guiding principles, values that determine morality and conduct. In other words, my actions, the actions that I do, are guided by what I deem is important to me. It was important to me to put my food on hold for an hour and a half so that we could eat together as a family. Those are values that I hold. And uh, we must be intentional to develop and maintain values that align with the Christian ideals to fight against the, 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 the modern agenda. I would like to close with leaving you with three values that has served the conjugal family well in, in past years. And I think they will continue to serve them well in the future. And by the way, these are not the only three. These are just three I'm going to throw out to you. And, and there are many others. The first one that I would like to leave with you is just simply a firm conviction, a commitment to a lifelong marriage promise. This has served us well. This has served the Christian community well for many, many years. I remember in my day the shock it was to hear people getting a divorce. I'll tell you, I, we barely even think about it anymore. It's just so rampant. It's almost the expectation. And, and God forbid that that should ever be the case within the Christian community. The sad lament that I have that within the so-called, and I'm just going to put the quotation marks in there, Christian community, it's higher than those of mainstream culture. Now, part of that may be because in mainstream culture, there might be those that cohabit together, and, and that might be part of it. But what a shame on the Christian church that we should have a higher divorce rate than mainstream culture, those who are Gentiles, those who have no faith in Jesus Christ. God forbid that that should be talked about or dubbed or that been given to the church. Uh, women have a, an intimate desire for security. They have an innate desire for security. Women do. Think of the insecurity that is, that is fostered and bred in a woman when her husband cannot be trusted, when he's out, when he's out uh, uh, giving his love to some other person. The, the, the more love I lavish 
on my wife, it will only increase her sense of security in me. And hence, when I give that kind of love to her, and that security builds in her, her adoration and her honor toward me becomes a reciprocal response. And so as she, as she throws that honor to me, and she lavishes that upon me, it just causes me to want to love her more and build that security even greater. And, and it just becomes a reciprocal pattern, a cyclical pattern. And uh, so I would just like to call you back just to be, just to be committed. You know what? I am in this thick or thin. I will not leave you. <laughs> what a blessing it is. I have never in my life, I don't think I've ever, ever in my life given thought that Glad would ever leave me. And I don't think that she has that, entertained that thought in, in, for her as well about me. And, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. There's, we're in this for life. And, and, and guys, <laughs> young men, establish it early in your heart. Establish it early in your heart. And that's why it's so important for you to make the right life choice. I'm not saying that there's only one for you. But when God calls you into that relationship, just be committed to her for the rest of your life. It's your responsibility. Secondly, a value that I think is very important for us to keep in front of us is the capacity to define gender roles. Traditionally, a father's masculinity and the graces of a mother's femininity were modeled well. There was little doubt in our minds when it came to issues of roles and responsibility. Dad was a sole bread earner. Mom kept the home fires burning. And there was no, there was no classification of, of, of looking down on that. Has this distinction helped us in the past? And I would like to say that it has. I would like to suggest it has. I think it has done it in two ways. First, it helps insist that men assume leadership in the home. And in turn, when, they, when, when the children see that model, especially the young sons see that model in dad, it also helps him understand the assumed expectation for him to do the same, and he begins training for it. And in doing so, he takes his first steps towards what it means to really becoming a man and taking that leadership role. Secondly, when a little girl observes her mother, poised with modest beauty, preparing the evening meal, kneading the bread, nursing the little child, and she does so with a spirit of joy. That little girl is well on her way to understand what it means to be a woman with powerful feminine influence. A commodity that I would add is sadly lacking today. And so I think this has, I think what this has modeled in the past has modeled well. Gender definition there. And lastly, I would just like to give one more, and that is a commitment to child training. Many parents in the past have used this method to rescue children whose hearts had gone wayward. 
Now, I'm not talking about youth age. I'm talking about little one-year-olds and two-year-olds. And we'll talk about this. Certainly in today's culture, this method of child training might seem a bit trite in, our, in old school. Mainstream culture has moved far to the right on this issue. And I think the results are very evident. In the book of Proverbs, I'm going to leave you with three of them. It shares wisdom on this issue. And we'll talk about this further by God's grace. And we'll certainly bring balance to this as well. But I'd like to leave you with these three verses. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It's the propensity of a child. It's there from the moment he's born or she's born. But, but, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from your child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. I'll bring balance to that, okay? But there is something, so there's, there's, there's some truth to this. And, and we dare not neglect it. Proverbs 29, 15, and 17. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. You want to have a child full of wisdom? What well, says? The rod. And rebuke, give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Oh, parents, can I just beg you? There's something in our history... That says that once a child gets 14, 15, and 16, you no longer have any input in their life. That is a lie. We've got to quit that philosophy. Stop it. Man, we have good conversations as parents at home with our adult children. Uh, you know, it goes both ways. I go to them for advice, and they come to us for advice. That's the way it should be. The rod of correction and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct. And the word means discipline your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Discipline of this nature is an expression of love. Parents who are brave and wise enough to embrace this biblical instruction, balanced with an extra measure of love and security, I think can expect and anticipate a harvest of peace and righteousness. Let's pray, and then I'm going to let Keith close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. I thank you, and I praise you for designing families, the purpose and the values that are included in Christian families. God, give us wisdom. And uh, Lord, as we continue this series, I pray that we would uh, be able to equip each one that is here, both young and old, single and married, and that we would be able to uh, strengthen what remains. We'll give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.